following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. I'll be sharing in just a moment from the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is uh, chapter one where we'll be. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one under a chair in front of you or either underneath you. Uh, It's on page 983 in the chair Bible. On the screen just now was the purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. Starting last week, this week and next, I'm explaining the biblical purpose we have together as a church. It's not something that I came up with or that we came up with. It is defined by the scripture. So we're looking at the key text and how we came up with this statement of purpose. Now, <clears throat> before I go any further, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a presupposition, something that, that I hold and that this church holds, so if you're new here, that, that we need to get out on the table. We believe that the Bible is completely and totally true. And that the Bible defines for us all that is necessary for salvation and life and the exercise of our faith. So here's what might happen to you today. I've never heard that before. It likely will, depending on your experience. Even if you grew up in church your whole life, you may hear some things today that you've never thought of or you've never heard explained. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself when you hear something like that. Is that biblical? Is that clearly what the Bible is saying before you make a decision about it? So with that in mind, let's read Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Would you stand, please? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Lord God, is now we seek together as we have proclaimed you through song. I pray that you would be proclaimed through your word and that what happens today would fulfill this text, that everyone would be warned and everyone taught with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do a work in the people who have gathered here. Do a work in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the main point of the sermon. The Lord God has purposed the body of Christ. It's another way of describing the church. The Lord God has purposed the body of Christ to be intricately involved in the spiritual growth of one another through the faithful proclamation of Christ. Now, Paul in Colossians 1 is proclaiming Christ. Beginning, particularly as he begins in verse 15, this explanation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. In verse 21, he says, and you, plural, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here's what he's, he's preaching to those who have been reconciled to God through Christ, through Christ's death on the cross, dying in the place of sinners, bearing the, the wrath of God for sinners in their place, died, buried, and rose again, conquering sin and death. All who by faith trust in Christ alone as their Savior, saving them from sin and death through his work on the cross and the resurrection. All who trust by faith are reconciled, are made right with God. And he presses it. If, if indeed you continue in the faith. So those who have been reconciled to God continue in the faith. Don't miss this. If you have been reconciled to God, you will continue in the faith. So those who continue in the faith have been reconciled to God. And we're not preaching in any way, shape, or form that you can lose your salvation. I'm saying if you are saved, you will continue in the faith. Now, how then do we grow in this faith we are continuing in? That's really the question before us today. How does this growth, spiritual growth, happen? Spiritual growth for everyone in the body of Christ occurs through the faithful proclamation of Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now let's nail something down right off the bat. There's repetition there. What's the word rep repeated? What is it? Everyone, it's three times. When the Bible is doing something emphatic like that, pay attention. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So we're talking about everyone here, not just a few select individuals. Everyone who is in Christ, back up in verses 21 and 22, those who have been reconciled to God. So here's my question. What is the means for spiritual growth of everyone? Him we proclaim. We never as Christians leave the proclamation of Christ. Christ is from Genesis to Revelation. He is the point of the Bible. He's on every page, not just in the Gospels. It is pointing us to the need of the Savior, to the coming of the Savior, to what he has accomplished, and to how everything is going to be culminated, how everything's coming together in the book of Revelation. So as we proclaim the word of God, we proclaim him. Proclaim. So what does that mean? It means to be or to make known openly. Now, here's one of those places I need to help you. If when you hear the word proclaim, you think what I'm doing exclusively, if all you're hearing is preaching, then you have the wrong idea about what Paul means here. If he just meant preaching, it would have made sense that Paul would have said, him I proclaim. He didn't say that. He said, him what? We proclaim. We as Christians, we, we make known. 
So there are two primary methods of how we proclaim, make known. First is warning everyone, and second is teaching everyone. So what does warning everyone mean? The word here means, it can be translated admonish, it can mean confronting. So admonishing involves encouraging, it involves instructing, it involves prompting, involves reproving someone. So let me illustrate. Let's, let's say I grew up playing American football and I had no knowledge of what is called soccer here. No knowledge, none. Which by the way, I grew up in a rural high school. This Brazilian kid moved there our senior year and taught us to play soccer. I wish I had a video of that. We had no idea. Nobody, none of us owned a soccer ball. We didn't even know what that thing was, all right? But let's just imagine that I go overseas as a missionary. I know nothing about soccer, we'll call it. And my friend says, hey, I want you to come play football with me. I'm like, yeah. I didn't know you people played football over here, but let's go. So he takes me to, to practice. They explain, you're on this team, you're on this team. You wear the red shirts, you wear the blue shirts. And then they sit down this round ball. And I'm like, what is the round ball for? Right, well, no, maybe they can't afford or don't know what a real football looks like, but that's fine. So they lay the ball down in the middle. They blow the whistle. This dude starts kicking and running down the field. So I cream him. The ref blows the whistle. The coaches, they're calling me over the sidelines. This goes on the entire game. I keep playing American football and they keep saying, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Here's how you play this. All right, listen. When we become Christians, we enter into a realm of life that is foreign to us. And if we are not warned we will continue to live in sin. Warning is necessary in all of our lives. Now, if any of you played a sport, the longer you play the sport, the less coaching, warning you need. But even professional football players need a coach. Even the most mature Christian in this room needs to be warned. Warning who? Who gets warned? Everyone. You say, well, you know, I'm not down with that. Uh, that's not my approach. I'm not into being cruel or harsh. The Bible's not describing cruel or harsh. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Here's what he's saying. It is cruel to let somebody continue in their sin and not warn them. So warning and teaching. Teaching means to instruct, to put someone's mind in proper order, as N.T. Wright said. That we're orderly presenting the truth of Christianity. Now, this is what I try to do when I'm up here in front of you on Sunday. I try to orderly present what is in the Bible in a clear and succinct way. But if you were to sit down with me one-on-one, -on -one, and many of you have over the years, I do the same thing with you. I don't use an outline, but if you'll pay attention when I'm talking to you from the Bible, I'm just orderly walking you through. This is what the Bible says. So, we're warning, 
and we're teaching who? Everyone. Turn the page, I have to, Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and, and I don't know why the ESV changes words here, and admonishing one another, it's the same language, teaching and warning one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Teaching and admonishing one another. All right. So now we're going to think here for a moment. How are we applying this as a church called Parkwood? How are we doing this? First, we do this by what we call or what is called expository preaching. We don't just preach at Parkwood. We preach expositorily. We take a text of scripture, normally following one text after another week by week, unless we're in a series like this where we're explaining things in a big picture, like the purpose of the church. But even this morning, I'm taking Colossians 1, 28 and 29, and I'm walking line by line, word by word, explaining this is what this text means. So expository preaching. So you're teaching, and this morning you're gonna get warnings. Sometimes they're going to be fairly strong. They're going to be warnings. But listen, they're general. These are general warnings that I'm, that I'm just putting out there. I'm not speaking to individuals. Now, the Spirit of God may apply it to your heart. And if he does, you need to, you need to respond and obey to it. But I'm not talking to individuals this morning when I'm preaching. I'm preaching to the congregation. Now, there's another way that we instruct one another in this gathering. Look at Colossians 3.16 again. See if you see it. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Most of what you believe about God, you learn through what you have sung in the church. That's why we must sing theologically correct songs. We're not looking for what makes us feel good. We're looking for how we are instructing our hearts together as we are singing. But again, this is general. We're generally teaching and generally warning each other as we sing. So how do we get to one anothering? Admonishing and teaching one another. Paul's got something personal in mind here. How do we get here? So the way we have defined it as a local church is what we call growth groups. Growth groups are designed to be small groups of people, somewhere between 10 and 15 people. How many did I just say? 10 and, did I say 30? No. Here's why. Those of you who think, you're just against my group. You can't one another each other. When you get up into 30, 40 people, you just become a small congregation. And when that happens, here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to do like me. They're going to stand up and you're going to go back to steps one and two to where somebody's going to lecture and you're going to listen. And then somebody, then you might sing or pray, but somebody's going to do that in front of everybody. No. What's got to happen is, is that we've got to enter into personal relationships with each other so that, so that, get this that teaching and warning now become personally applied. 
Now, I don't mean you're sitting in a group of 15 and the growth group leader calls out an individual or somebody else calls out an individual. But a growth group leader is gonna be far more personal in how he's speaking and applying or in the midst of discussion of the scripture as you're one anothering each other, you're asking or framing things in such a way that you're speaking into each other's lives. But then it goes deeper. It goes further. What ought to come out of growth groups are personal relationships that you have to where you are one-on-one, one-anothering each other. Mark Dever said it this way in his book, Discipling. Warning and teaching must be applied on a personal level. This is where the vast majority of warning should happen. Then he says, teaching occurs as people learn to have spiritually meaningful conversations with each other. I'm gonna repeat that one more time. Teaching occurs as people learn to have spiritually meaningful conversations with each other. So this ought to happen in the family of God, in the relationships we have. This ought to happen in your family, as parents, with children, with siblings, as husbands and wives. People ask me, who has had the most profound discipling impact on your life? You ready for the answer? Celeste Long. And that is no overstatement. That woman has taught me more about the Bible and God has used her to warn me more than any individual ever. We have a a deep discipling relationship with each other. I'll press it further. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for her. We should have these kind of relationships in our families, in the family of God, and through our friendships. So how do we share the word of Christ with each other? With all wisdom. It can be translated skill or the ability to recognize the, gen- the genuine article. <laughs> Hebrews 3.12, I'm just gonna quote some verses. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort or warn one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Anybody besides me still struggling with sin? Here's how we overcome it. You exhort me. How often? Every day. The writer of Hebrews is saying, here's what was going on in in, in the Hebrew Christians. They were were suffering tremendously and some of them were considering going back to Judaism. And here's what Paul's saying. You guys gonna stay together, have five worship services a week. No, that is not what he said. He said, you gotta one another each other. You gotta exhort one another. In, In Ephesians, he says it this way, rather speaking the truth in love, verse 15 of chapter four, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Philemon 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So for those of you who hear this warning and teaching, 
that you're thinking some hateful person who's constantly correcting you and constantly pointing out what you're wrong and constantly riding you. That's not what Christianity describes. Christianity is describing people who understand who they are in Christ and understand their own personal struggles, their own heart, and they understand that those same things are going on in their brothers and sisters. And with love and compassion and with a refreshing spirit, they warn and teach each other in a reciprocal fashion so that, here it is, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So here's my question, who's involved in that? Who's involved in the spiritual growth of everyone? Everyone, you getting it now? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. If admonishing and teaching were the means of Paul's proclamation, what was the end? The end was to present everyone perfect or mature. That's the goal. This word can be translated perfect. You heard me just say that. English translations are not using that word anymore because perfection means without flaw. That is not what the Bible means. It's a Hebrew idea. It means to be perfect or to be mature or to be complete means to fulfill your purpose. See how this fits together with last week? What's your purpose? Why are you still here? to glorify God. You're here to glorify God. And here's how we say it. Do you see how this is working as a church now? We glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers. So it leads me to my second point. Spiritual growth for everyone in the body of Christ occurs when everyone embraces their personal responsibility. I skipped a verse, but let me read it now. Not holding fast to the head. He's correcting that. So really what he's saying is you need to hold fast to the head. Whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So do you want the kind of growth we manufacture here as a church or do you want the kind of growth that's from God? I think I'd want the one from God, right? That you do know now that you can come up with an entire program. There are books and conferences that we can go to and we can grow the church and make it bigger. It's entirely possible. We can put the right bells and whistles and do the right kind of things and create an experience here and get crowds I want a growth from God. And here's how the growth from God comes. It's when every part of the body's working together. That's how it happens. So spiritual growth for everyone in the body of Christ occurs when everyone embraces their personal responsibility. Paul shifts the pronoun from we to I. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, why does he shift to the personal pronoun? Here's why. He wants you to own this personally. He wants me to own this personally. For this purpose, presenting everyone mature in Christ, for this purpose, to the glory of God, I toil. I work to fatigue. <laughs> we used to have Labor Day because people worked hard. I'm not sure why we have Labor Day now, but anyway. <laughs> hard work is something we're all trying to avoid now. <laughs> 
Hard work is what Paul is saying must be embraced for God to be glorified through a church. For this purpose, I work to fatigue. Struggling. Now this is an athletic image. The agony, it's the agony of running a race and coming to an end of it. It's pressing through the difficulty. Mark Dever's book, Discipling, said, quote, Do you want to know the power of God and a faith that works? Then give yourself over to the struggle of working for the good of others, even as Christ himself works and struggled for our good. I'm going to press the question in another direction. Does everyone in the body of Christ share the responsibility for the spiritual growth of others? Does everyone in the body of Christ share the responsibility for the spiritual growth of others? Now let's turn back to our left to Ephesians chapter four. Sometime after the first of the year, we're going to do a series just on the fourth chapter of Ephesians and the implications that that has for us as it relates to discipleship and to how we reach our community. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to do all the work of the church and to preach and to keep the doors open so everybody could come and watch and observe and go home and do what they want to do. Wait a minute. That's the American version. Let me start over. He gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the Now look up here. Paul could have said that he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for ministry. He could have said that. It still would have been true. But he intentionally, intentionally, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adds for the work of. He's being emphatic here. In other words, here's what he's saying. This is not easy. It's never been easy and it's never going to be easy. Some of you have heard me say this before. Ministry would be a lot of fun if it didn't involve people. A lot of people think, man, they get this, they get this idea what I do, man. I'd love to do what you do. And we have interns about the second week. They're like, uh... I'm thinking about doing something else. <laughs> Once you bring people up under the hood and they see what actually happens. And here's what happens when you get involved in something other than a Bible study. Now track with me here. I'm about to go from preaching to meddling now. Here we go. When you get involved in something other than a passive Bible study and you start getting involved in each other's life, then growth group becomes work. It's a joyful work, but it's difficult. You know why? Because we're all difficult. We're all struggling through things in our life that, are, that, that, that we're living in disobedience or in blindness to that are preventing us from maturity. And it's through the teaching and the warning in him, the proclamation in him that we mature and that we grow. So it says, for the work of ministry, 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Christ is our measure so that we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human uh, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, so all of us, if you're a Christian, we are all connected, joined and held together by every joint which is with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I'm going to say something provocative. Some of you are keeping this church from spiritual maturity because you refuse to embrace what God has designed. He has called us together as a local body of believers connected to each other because we are connected to Christ. Let's go back to last week. We are all oriented to the cornerstone. We are all connected to the head. It's another metaphor now, to Christ. So we all share the responsibility. We all own the responsibility to see the church collectively grow into mature manhood, that it grows building itself up. So here's what we're saying. We exist as a local church to mature together, to glorify God together. And that means that individually we must be growing so that collectively shared together we are growing. So here's my final question to you. Am I embracing my responsibility in the body of Christ by joining and laboring together for the growth of all believers? Okay. There are a lot of you in this room right now who are, who are not members of our church. So, so let me, let me bring you into the membership process for a moment and let me explain some things to you about us. You've noticed we don't receive members on Sunday morning and then announce do people join. That's on purpose. Because there were Sundays 20 years ago, we'd have 12 people join a week and then never see them again. So we're like, that's not productive. That's not even biblical. So we stopped it. So we stopped, started a membership process where we walk people through what the Bible expects of a member, of a person who's a part of the body of Christ. And we conclude it with these five things, five summaries. It's all fitting under this purpose, biblical purpose. Number one, if you're a member of this church, you will faithfully participate in worship personally and corporately. So you'll be a part of corporate worship and personal worship. Number two, that you will be a part of a growth group where you are studying, praying with, and caring for one another in the context of a growth group. Notice, I didn't say you will attend a Bible study. Number three, that you will serve somewhere in the church to support the purpose of the church. Number four, now notice, I didn't say you'll serve somewhere in a community. That's between you and the Lord what he leads you to do in the community. As a member, you'll serve somewhere in the church. Number four, that you will faithfully give your tithes and offerings to support the work of the church. 
Number five, that you will live as a faithful witness to Christ, to the glory of God in this community. And we say this, if you don't embrace those five things and you're not committed to those five things, don't join, don't. All you are is, a, is an attender otherwise, and you can do that without joining. Now listen to me. If that's all you're doing, I think you're living in disobedience to God if you are a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're just coming here weekly, you're still trying to sort out Christianity, keep coming. We pray the Spirit of God's gonna open your eyes and your mind to hear and to understand the gospel. You keep coming. But if you are proclaiming to be a follower of Jesus, this isn't a Parkwood purpose. This is a biblical purpose. And if Parkwood's not the place you can do this, then you have a responsibility before God to go find somewhere where you can do this. So if you're saying, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I hear you. Let me talk about two objections to embracing the laboring together for the growth of other believers. Two objections. One is I'm not going to. And the second one is I can't. So let me talk to Mr. Arms Folded for a minute. I'm not going to. All right. I have a question for you. If you're saying you're not going to, what does that say about your understanding of salvation? It might say this. Now track with me. If your understanding of salvation is the only reason Jesus came is to save you and to get you into heaven and the rest of this Christian thing is optional until you die, then I understand. I'm not going to. I'm in, going to heaven. I ain't worried about it. You will answer to God. You will answer to God for what he has written in his word, not what you thought. Not what you think it means. You're going to answer for what it means. So it speaks to your understanding of salvation. Now, if you really are not interested and you say you're a Christian, I'm confused. I just am confused. Because God's plan for you, his reason for saving you is that you live to the glory of God. And you can't glory, glorify God unless you obey God. Second objection, I can't. It's got all kinds of sub objections. I don't know enough. I'm not ready. Here's one of my favorites. You don't understand my past. Who wrote Colossians? Paul. Does, do you know what Paul was doing when he got saved? I mean, literally on his way to do kill Christians. He was in the Taliban. Seriously. And God saved him. If anybody's got an excuse, you don't understand my past, it's Paul. God transforms and changes people and immediately brings them into the body of Christ and gives them a place in the body of Christ and uses them according to their maturity. But there's a place for all of us when we get saved. I'm gonna tell you something. New Christians in this room, I'm going to tell you the number one place God will use you, and that is in evangelism. You know more lost people right now than any of us do. 
And you need to be reaching out to your friends who don't know Christ and using you to, to reach out to others. God has a place for all of us. Here's what I say. You have to start where people are to get them where they need to be. So you gotta start where you are. Those of you waiting around, you know, I'm gonna get there, I'm gonna get there. How are you gonna get there? You're gonna get there by inactivity? Just sitting here in a pew? Think if you hear one more Bible study, you're finally gonna go, oh, I got it. You know, some people have been real confrontational with us. You know, why are we using high school kids to serve in, to serve in kids ministry while they're in high school? I'm gonna tell you why. Because statistics show that the more people who are involved in the church stick. Kids that grow up at Parkwood, if you grow up at Parkwood, sit down and Bible quiz a Parkwood kid. Take them on, I dare you. They will trounce you in a Bible trivia game. They know the Bible. Put them in service to where they begin to understand, I'm a part of the body. I God can use me. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Some of you think there's a period where there's a comma. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Comma. Comma. So here's what some of you think that means. Well, you know, I'm just who I am. God's, God's cool with it. It's not what Paul means at all. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So here's what Paul's saying. Let me summarize it for you. I've been saved by the grace of God and by the grace of God, God is using me for the work. He's using me for the work of the ministry. He's working in me and through me. All right, question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ saves you by his grace alone? then why do you not believe he can use you by his grace alone? What are you waiting for? What are you, what are you looking for? You couldn't be a more raw bone Christian than I was. You couldn't be. And I don't know whether it was intentional or not. We never had these conversations. But about two weeks after I clearly was following Jesus, was Bible school. And our pastor said, won't you lead recreation? He knew I was an athlete, loved sports. He plugged me in. I will never forget that week thinking, I love the church. What a joy it is to be involved in the life of the church that I get to do this. You start where you are. And you plug in and get involved. Now, brothers and sisters, at the core of this, the way we accomplish Colossians 1.28 is through, I'm gonna guess, growth groups. It's how it happens. This is why I've made strong statements about growth groups in the last six months. 
So let me tell you something. We don't put these kind of statistics out there, and I'm not trying to whatever. Last Sunday, they were just shy about 1,370 people in our worship services. There were 1,420 in growth groups. You say, they must not like your preaching. You're probably right. No, here's what's happening. People are bringing people into their growth groups now who don't come here on Sunday morning. Aha. Where's evangelism going to happen in the 21st century? In a church building or a house? In a home. That's where it's going to go down. That's where we're going in January with this whole thing. It's not just so that we grow. It's also next week so that we go. And it's all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to your people. I pray for the men and women in this room, first and foremost, who need to be reconciled to God by faith in Christ alone. I pray for those, Lord, who are sitting in a chair and, and observing on a week-in and week-out basis who need to move toward church membership and need to get involved in the life of a growth group and serving in and through a local church. And God, if you've led them here, may they embrace that and move forward and may they act on that today. And for those of us that have wandered away and let life get in the way, may there be repentance and we turn to embrace what you've called us to. Lord, grow your church here. Grow it according to the Bible. Not that we can talk about the number of people, though there ought to be people being saved and coming into the church, Lord, so that we can say we are reflecting Christ. That we're growing into maturity. So do that work among us. We plead and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.